If you got your Bible, go ahead, open up. We're in Luke chapter five, short text today, only five verses, 12 through 16. And uh, we are continuing this passage through the Gospel of Luke. Now, let's remind ourselves where we're at and a little bit of background on kind of how this whole scene is structured. In the beginning of Luke, the first three chapters are really about his birth. It's about the birth of Jesus and all the events surrounding his miraculous birth and, the, and John the Baptist preparing the way for him. And then if you remember, he was baptized, sent into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. And then he came out and he preached his first sermon. And you remember, I gave a sermon that was titled, The Sermon That Almost Got Jesus Killed. It was on the first sermon that he ever gave. And they tried to throw him off a cliff for the message he gave. Um, And in that message, this is what he said in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. He unrolled the prophet Isaiah and he read this section that said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Uh, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. Now from that moment, what we've been preaching on is, is that idea of Jesus working its way out in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus said, this is what I've come to do. I've come to uh, proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captive, sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed. And now what we've seen is one at a time these stories of Jesus doing just that and showing what this means. Now we continue that today in the story of Jesus cleansing the leper. Now a bit of background for you about leprosy in the Bible. Now, we're going to dig deep into leprosy, so not too much right now, but just enough to tell you that oftentimes when we talk about leprosy in the Bible, this was a disease of the skin that caused your skin to functionally rot away on your body, but oftentimes the symptoms and the issues and the way that leprosy is handled in Scripture, it's a direct parallel and almost a picture for us of sin and how sin is described and how sin impacts your life. And so throughout this sermon today, as we look at this life of this leper who was suffering from a disease, we're going to use the story of his healing and how he got healing to look at the gospel of how God heals us of our disease that we have. In this leper's leprosy, we see every human's sin. And we're going to explore what that means for us by looking at his healing. So let me read to us chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. While Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about Jesus went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he, Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. The word of the Lord. Now, the text begins and tells us about this leper. And the language is actually, uh, it says he's covered in leprosy. He had a, a great amount of leprosy. You remember the writer of this history and biography of the life of Jesus is Luke, who is a physician. In fact, the Apostle Paul calls him the beloved physician. So when Luke writes about diseases and infirmities of his day, he's writing as a doctor, 
someone who knows a little about it. And his language is clarifying the kind of leprosy that he had. This was not a little bit of leprosy. This was a man who was full of leprosy. His body was covered in the disease. Now, quick background, what is leprosy? In our day, we actually don't have uh, the exact same type of leprosy that we know of in the Bible. There is a similar disease today called Hansen's disease, which is kind of a, a slow kind of rotting away of the skin. But it's, we don't believe it's the exact same thing that was in Jesus' day. Leprosy was a terrible disease uh, that could range from anything from something like a rash uh, or like a, a simple psoriasis on the skin, some kind of inflammation of the skin, and then it could range to all the way towards a true type of ancient leprosy that could truly rot your body away. And leprosy, all through the Old Testament, there are these laws of how you deal with people who have skin issues. And all through the Old Testament, we see that the, the law of God had particular requirements about what to do with people so that the, the virus or the disease they had would not spread to others in the community. Now, again, as we look at leprosy and as we examine this leper's life and him getting healed by Jesus, we're going to get to learn a little bit about ourselves, about the disease of sin that we have and the nuances of how we get healed. So let me walk you through five, five particulars of leprosy that we can make connections with to Jesus. And we're looking at the patient here, the patient. So leprosy, number one, always runs deeper than the skin. Leprosy always runs deeper than the sin. Like I said, in the Old Testament, there were laws. Leviticus chapter 13, 14, and 15 deal with leprosy laws. It deals with leprosy on the skin, but then also it deals with things like mold and issues in the home. Like today, if you find mold in your home, that's not a good thing. You gotta get it out of your house, right? I remember we found mold in our house after we moved in, and I had to cut away three feet of drywall across the entire first floor of our house, right? Nothing you wanna do, but you gotta get it out of your house, and remove it from the, from, from the home so it doesn't spread, because mold spreads. Well, in the same way, there were laws in the Old Testament to make sure that any kind of leprosy, whether it's in a house or a piece of clothing or on your skin, was separated from the community. Leviticus chapter 13, verse 3. This is giving rules for how the priest would look at leprosy in the Old Testament. And the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. So someone present themselves, I think I might have something on my arm or on my body. The priest would examine it. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. Now, one little verse, but what is this saying? The priest looks at you, and if he sees a little blemish or a blot on your skin, there's a way that the Bible says, no, that's just a, a basic blemish. You're fine. You can stay in the community. And, but there's also a way to say, no, whatever that is on your skin, it runs deeper. There's something deeper than just the blemish that needs to be taken care of. Sin is the same way. There, sin always runs deeper than just the surface level. One thing I try to teach over and over again in this church, many of us believe that sin is only in the decisions and the actions that we take. We believe that we're only in sin when we steal, or we're only in sin when we commit adultery, or we're only in sin when we, you know, whatever it else is we do, when we take some particular action, when we explode at somebody in anger. But actually, Jesus teaches us over and over again that the root cause of all sin and what is sin itself always begins in the heart. That it is sinful and liable of judgment when your heart is feeling the emotions that lead you to do the actual actions that lead you into sin. So Matthew chapter 15, verse 19 says, 
Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. What's Jesus saying? He's saying it's deeper than the skin. It's deeper than your actions. You're not only guilty when you steal, you're guilty the moment you had a a covetous thought in you over something that someone else has. That makes you guilty of sin before a holy God. Now this is the root cause of the problem. The root cause of our problem is sin. And I believe if, if we could see ourselves with the eyes of God to see the monstrosity of sin for what it is, we would believe that we are hideous if we were to see ourselves in our true nature, our fallen nature before a holy God, and how deep sin goes. A leprous person who was near the end of their life was a hideous thing to behold. Their body was falling apart. There was a grotesqueness to the way the disease took your body. And I believe if we were to see the the fullness of sin and how rotten the heart has gotten as a result of the fall of Adam in the garden and how it's propagated through all of us, we would see ourselves like a leper on his last days. This is one of the reasons why much of modern psychotherapy does not work. You know that? Why? Let me me walk through this. Some psychotherapy is is wonderful, good, good things, right? But it can't get to the root of the problem if it never deals with the root. What's the root? The root of the problem is always our fallen sinful nature. Modern psychotherapy typically deals with secondary issues. Secondary issues like the family home that you grew up in or the mistakes you made or the wounds that someone else caused you in your life. All of those are important things not to be dismissed. Good biblical counselors, pastors, and therapists need to know those things and how to deal with those things and care for a person in the midst of them. But if a therapist does not know how to get to the root, the root being our sin before a holy God and the healing that only Jesus can bring, they never deal with the crux of the issue. And they only deal with the secondary issues. See, the world's gotten this wrong. And as Christians, we need to know the root always goes deeper than the skin. And the root is always the sin itself. Number two, leprosy isolates. Leprosy isolates. Leprosy in those days was highly contagious. And therefore, the proper protocol for someone who had leprosy was to excommunicate them from the community until their healing was complete, until they no longer had the leprosy. And only once it was proven that they didn't have leprosy anymore were they permitted back into the community because they knew they wouldn't be contagious. In general, others were afraid of lepers for this reason. It was a very isolating disease. In fact, Leviticus 13.45, listen to this. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip with a cloth and cry out whenever he goes in public, unclean, unclean. Now, can you imagine the life and the mind of a leper? Everywhere you go, you have to announce yourself as a leper. If you dare to walk in the vicinity of another person, you see him from a distance, you have to look disheveled and walk around and proclaim your status before them so that no one gets too close to you. This was unbelievably isolating. It was a very lonely life. Sin is isolating. How so? You know, it's interesting. Most people who are actively engaging in a sinful, debaucherous lifestyle 
let's just say you're living kind of the party life in Chicago. You know the club scene or the bar scene or whatever it is, wherever people go. And, and you, 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 that's, what you're, that's what you're enjoying. You're, you're, you're living a life of sin, a life of debauchery, a life of fornication. That life feels in the immediate moment like a very communal life. Why? You're around a lot of people. You, 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 people like you, at least in the moment. That you, you, people are uh, giving you compliments in the moment. People are affirming you in the moment. But does anybody who's been in that lifestyle actually know when they look back on those days, did, did they have real, genuine friendships, people that cared about them and they cared for others in those communities? The answer is no, for two reasons. Number one, when you are that person Everybody around you knows you actually can't be trusted. Truly trusted. Right? You can't be truly trusted. Even though they maybe like partying with you, they're not actually going to have you babysit their kid. That, <laughs> you can't be trusted with that. With, with something that precious? No. It's not only that you can't be trusted, but... But the people around you can't be trusted. Your relationships can't be trusted. Let's just take fornication, for example. Let's say you're, you're sleeping with people outside of marriage. If that's the lifestyle you're in, that's, that's the most vulnerable place you can be with somebody, in a bed with somebody. But there's no commitment of marriage, which means that that person can flee at any moment. There's no covenant binding you, saying no matter what we go through in this life, no matter what happens to me or what happens to you, like we're in this together. I will never leave you because this marriage is based on the, the, the covenant that Jesus has made with us. It's marriage and, and we're for each other. In that environment, the intimacy of the bedroom is unbelievably safe. There's no fleeing. There's just this love and this commitment to one another. That's true relationship. That's true trust. But in, in, in the life of a fornicator, what you have is the intimacy without the security. Do you know how dangerous that is? They say they love you, but they don't. Because as soon as you stop pleasing them in a certain way, they're out of there. There's no trust. It's unbelievably isolating. And, and the thing is, both parties in this know it. They're in the relationship, but they know they don't actually have the intimacy and the, and the vibrancy of relationship they could because at any moment they could leave. That's not trust. That's not relationship. That's isolation. Constantly trying to prove yourself. Leprosy isolates you. Number three, leprosy defiles you. Leprosy defiled a person. Again, in the Old Testament, it not only cut you off from community, but it cut you off from worship. Now, what do I mean from that? You could always worship in your heart, yes. Under the Old Testament law, just because you couldn't go to the temple doesn't mean you couldn't have a relationship with God in your heart, absolutely. But much of Old Testament law was around what took place in the temple and in the community. What took place uh, bringing your offerings to God to make an atonement for your sin and having the priest make an offering for you. Those were the ceremonial rules. And if you were a leper, you were cut off from the community. You could not go to the sanctuary. You could not bring your sacrifices in the Old Testament. You could not participate in the holy days and in the singing of the Psalms. It slowly just defiled you. Not only that, but anything and everything you touched also became defiled. If you drank out of a cup, the cup was defiled. If you walked into a home, the home had to be checked by a priest to make sure it was then clean. Everything became defiled. There was actually a law in Leviticus that a, a leper 
cannot drink out of an open flowing stream. Why? Because then the germs won't flow down the stream to other people over there. Everything you touched became defiled. Sin defiles both the unbeliever and the believer. Now let me clarify both of these here. First of all, to the person who's never believed in Jesus, sin defiles you. It cuts you off from God. This is what most of the world outside of the church doesn't realize, and frankly, many in the church don't realize. We are born into what's called original sin. We're born with a sin nature. No human can escape it. Not only do we have a sin nature, but then we actively choose sin because our heart is corrupted. And every time we sin, it's revealing to us that we are cut off from God. We don't have access to the throne room of God. We don't have access to God. It doesn't matter if we like saying prayers. It doesn't matter if we like going to religious ceremonies. It doesn't matter if we do all these religious duties. If we do not have Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sin that Jesus offers, we are cut off from God entirely without hope except in Christ. So the unbeliever, sin defiles them. But what about the believer? What about the believer? The believer who gets caught up in sinful lifestyle and, and finds sin in them, it also defiles you. Now, it doesn't mean that you get cut off from, the, from God and that you can't have a relationship with God. But when you let little sin into your life, believer, you are breaking the sweet relationship that God has established with you through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, a very convicting verse for husbands. Listen to this. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, then listen to this, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, there is a way that you can treat your wife, who is more emotionally fragile than you are, typically, that will hinder your prayers from being heard by God. Now, what that means is that there is a way that we can be in sin and not repenting of it and just living in sin that's hindering our relationship with God. And so believer and unbeliever alike, what we need to do is we need to recognize this, know that sin slowly grows callousness to God in our life and root it out. Number four, leprosy causes numbness to pain. One of the ways that lepers in those days died, leprosy not only was a, a skin-eating disease, but it would numb your nerves so that you, couldn't, you, you actually couldn't feel anything. And so what would happen in those days is a leper would bash their finger maybe get it stuck in a door or bash their toe on something and not realize they did it. And literally, they'd have a smashed in, bent backwards finger or arm or they'd be bleeding profusely and not even know it until someone told them. And slowly what ha would happen is fingers would just fall off. It, it's a pretty nasty thing. That's one of the most dangerous things about leprosy in those days is that, that it just caused a numbness to pain that slowly killed you. Sin slowly numbs you. It's like a drug, you know? You, you start with just a little sin. It's like a gateway drug, and then all of a sudden, you don't realize how deep you've gotten into this world of sin. It, it always just grows more and more, and what's happening is you're being numb. You're being calloused to the beauty and the worth and the goodness and the love and the richness of God and biblical community, and life could be all for sin, you don't realize how numb you've, been, you've become. I had a friend in college. He started gambling 
quite a bit of money in college. And I remember I told him, he was one of my best friends in college. I remember I, I pulled him aside one day. I said, man, you, I know you're making some money right now. It was sports betting. He was gambling on like three, four games a weekend. And I said, man, one day this can't go on. Like this is, this is all gonna crash down. You gotta root this out before it goes further. I'm making money. He was making a ton of money. He was eating steak meals on the weekend in college. Sure enough, I didn't talk to him for about five years. I got a phone call from him. He goes, hey, Rafe, you remember that chart you drew me? I, I, I jokingly, I, I tried to help him. I drew a chart. It was a funny chart. Like, here's your life going good, going good. One day it's all gonna crash down. Like, don't let that happen. He goes, remember that chart you drew me? He goes, I just lost my job because I had a bunch of bets with guys in the office and my boss and I can't pay it. All came crashing down. See, sin, sin just grows and you don't realize how big it's getting. Others are looking and going, you're stuck in it. That's what sin does, it numbs you to all of this. Number five, lastly, leprosy ultimately robs you of life. Think of this leper, leper, add it all up. Everything I just described to you, add up this leper. What's his life like? Oh, he's, he's a zombie. He's alive, but he's dead. He's isolated from community. He's cut off from God. He doesn't have life. His body's slowly dying. He's in a leper community. He's got to announce himself when he goes anywhere. Everyone knows exactly who he is. He doesn't have life. He's dead. He's a dead man walking. This is what sin does to you. This is the full force of sin. God has made you for life. He's made you for love. He's made you for community. He's made you for God and for relationship with God. And sin just robs you of all of it. It just, just robs all of it from you. It ruins it all. It suffocates a man. It numbs a man to his responsibilities. It makes a, a man or a woman callous to the true joys of life. It makes you slothful in your religious duties before a holy God. It makes someone heartless before others. It draws people in their mind away from God and their assigned responsibilities to love God and to love others. And it twists people into a monster of themselves who are primarily concerned with their own well-being who are primarily concerned with how much money they can make, how much fame they can get, how much power they can hold, how much they can dominate over others, rather than how much they can serve the one true and living God and how much they can serve others. This is what sin does for you. One theologian, he writes this, he says, Oh, learn to pity your own soul, for he who sins offends and wrongs God, but also wrongs and destroys his own soul. Now, let me read to you verse 12. Got a sense for this leper? Verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Are you in that mind's heart and mind? Are you in that man's heart and mind? You getting what that man's all about, what his life must have been like? When he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This precious man of God, notice where is Jesus? He's in one of the cities. What does this man do? He breaks through the protocol. He runs. 
I, maybe he did do, maybe he ran through like this, unclean, 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 just get to Jesus. That's all I know. Get to Jesus, get to Jesus. That's all I have to do. He falls on his face before God. He did whatever he had to do to get to the one who could heal us. Church, that is how we deal with sin. You have to do whatever you can do to get to Jesus who alone can heal you. You have to fight to get to him. You have to run to him. You have to keep knocking on his door and don't stop knocking on the door until he opens it to you and he heals you of the sin that is plaguing you. If you're not a believer, it's as simple as this. You fall before a holy God and you say, God, I receive Jesus. I could not overcome this sin if I tried and it will keep polluting my life and keep rotting me away until I die and I will never find life but Jesus offers me life. He's forgiven my sin on the cross and I receive it, give me new life. And the Bible says you'll be born again, your sin fully done away with. And if you're a believer in this room and you have habitual sin in your life, you see it in your life, which we all do, you don't stop knocking on that door. Don't let sin plague you. Don't let it slowly rot your faith and make you callous to God. When you see any of that sin in you, and I see it in myself, you go right to Jesus. Do whatever you can to get before him and beg of him. If you will, you can heal me. The patient is the leper. Now, let's look at the prescription. The patient and the prescription. Luke chapter five, verse 13. Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I will be clean. Now, each of those two words is actually one word in the original language. Our, our, our English con converts it to I will, two words. But actually, it's one word. I will. Be clean, one word. Be clean. What happens next? And immediately, the leprosy left him. Those two words, I will be clean, ought to be two of the most precious, most profound, life-changing words in a believer's life, not just for their conversion moment, but for every day of their Christian walk. Every Christian ought to have that just at, like printed out over the doorway to their house. I will be clean. That's your mantra for your life. Jesus says, I will. Be clean. He desires to change you. Let's deal with the first half. I will. Jesus desires. The desire of his heart is not that you would live in ongoing habitual sin that robs you of life, but he wills for you to have life to the full. He wills for you to, to know God, to walk with God, to know real relationship and real intimacy with people. He desires for his church to be the church to be full of the spirit and alive with life and seeing many come to faith in Jesus. He hasn't given us a commission that he doesn't will to be done. He hasn't, he hasn't commissioned you to make disciples of all nations that he, he doesn't will for you to be able to do it. He's commissioned you with his will and he wills for you to be a part of it all and to have life. Let me speak to two very particular groups in the room today. Number one, to the backsliding, to the backsliding. What is the backsliding? The backslider is the person who's a Christian who is in a season where they have just grown a little numb. Maybe you're not attending church as much. Maybe you got a little burned from a group you were a part of before and you're just a little distant, too distant. Look at Jesus right now. And he says to you, I will. He desires. 
not to keep you in a place of backsliding, which will slowly bring you further and further and further away from God until you begin to rot and until you, you're on that verge of apostasy that's walking away from Jesus for good, which would be revealing to you that you never knew Jesus in the first place, for no one who actually knows Jesus in the first place can ever walk away from God for good. Rather than letting yourself slip this way, this way, look to Jesus who says, I will. I want to cleanse you from that backsliding I want to fix you. I want to heal you. And your job today, backslider, is to, is to just prostrate yourself before God, before Jesus, and listen to those words of him saying, I will be cleansed. Francis Schaeffer, one of my favorite theologians, he says this, there is no sin so great that our fellowship cannot be restored. If we humbly call it sin, and through faith bring that specific sin under the blood of Christ, when my heart condemns me and cries, you've done it again, I am to believe God again as to the value of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Are you backsliding because you just, you're down on yourself because you keep finding yourself in habitual sin? Then in that case, you keep looking up to the cross. He's forgiven it all. He's forgiven it all. He's forgiven you again. Here I am again. He's forgiven me again. Here I am again. He's forgiven me again. That's the love of Christ. He's forgiven it all. But do not let your backsliding rob you of the goodness of what Jesus has bought for you at the cross. Second group I want to minister to specifically the wounded, the wounded. Some of you are in here today and you're checking church out. And, uh, and one of the reasons you're checking church out is because you have particular wounds, maybe that have been done to you by Christians or by the church, and you are very skeptical if this is a place where real healing can be found. You're here maybe on the arm of a friend. Maybe you think I'm speaking gibberish right now. But you know you're in here, and as I speak to you and I say to the wounded, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, and you know the wounds that you have had at the hands of others. Here's what I want to tell you. That banner that stands over every Christian's life, I will be clean, can stand over your life as well. That wound does not need to define you. There is a greater identity. There is a greater definition. Sin may have been done to you, Real evil may have been done to you. People may have wronged you and not even realize they did it. And in Jesus, he can establish an entire new identity built on the death and the resurrection of Jesus and who God says you are if you place your faith in Christ. And who God says you are is a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God, a son or a daughter of the king. That's royalty. In Jesus, you have royal blood flowing through your veins. You are not the definition of your wounds. You are the definition of what God says you are. And you are a son and a daughter of the king only if you place your faith in Jesus. That's an identity to build your life upon. Don't be defined by your wounds. Be defined by the one who says, I will, I will to give you a new life. Secondly, be clean. Jesus wants to cleanse you of your sin. You, look Christian, the number one, I feel like the number one counseling advice I give over and over again is that when people say, this is just the way I am, I'll always be like this. No. That's how a non-Christian speaks. No Christian can say that. It, it, no Christian can say that. Why? Because you've been born again. You have been born again. In Christ, you are not who you are. You have been born again to a new and living hope. In Christ, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you, in you to lead you what? To overcome sin and to walk in obedience to God. 
In Christ, the Holy Spirit is doing new work in you, establishing an entire new story for you. You are not defined by who you were. You actually have an entire new motivation, which is the Holy Spirit leading you towards truth. Have you been defining yourself and saying, I can't change? That's not Christian. I will be cleansed, be changed, be clean from that sin, and move into the cleanliness that Christ offers you through the gospel. He's calling you to something new. Now, I, want you to, I don't want you to miss one important thing from this text. Jesus touched the leper. This is so important. Imagine that leper. He's been isolated. He's been isolated for years if his body's covered with this at this point. And what does Jesus do? Before, before he says, I will be clean, he does something that that man has not experienced probably in years. He touched him. He broke through every cultural stereotype. He saw the man. Why did Jesus touch him? That man had not had human touch. That man, had, that man, that man didn't know life and love. And Jesus, who is life and is love, is standing right before him. And what did that man need? He needed, he needed to feel another person. Two things. Jesus, when you believe in him, he enters into an intimate relationship with you that is not just about knowing about Jesus. Faith in Christ is an intimate relationship where you walk with Jesus. You commune with Jesus. You know Jesus. You love Christ. Your life is now defined by relationship because of what Christ has accomplished on the cross where he took your sins and he established a real, genuine relationship with you. But two, as we minister to others, do you know how important touch is? I've been convicted of that this week, and I don't want to miss this passage without saying this. People, we need to be in people's lives, intimately, around their dinner table, and them around your life with you. I shared the video with you last, a few weeks ago, of our Bread of Life ministry, which ministers to those who are living on the streets in Chicago, and how they've been washing these men and women's feet so incredibly impressed by this ministry and the, and the kind of love. And I, I asked this week in, our, in my men's small group that meets in my house, I asked a couple of the guys who are part of that ministry, what has it been like for them to be washing the feet of those whom they're serving, a whole new part of their ministry? And just to hear the love coming out of their voice and, and, the, and, and the, the intimacy of that space and the awkwardness of it, but the, the Christ-filled, Holy Spirit-filled power that is at work in that moment. Now, in your lives, as you minister to other people, as you minister, you, your ministry cannot just be explanation. It has to be opening your home, doing life and meals with people, weeping with them, crying with them, feeling with them, empathizing with them the way that Jesus did. He touched this man, and then came this miraculous healing. Is that your ministry, Christian? Is the way you love on others touching them bringing them into your home, and then letting the miraculous work of Jesus work through your hands? People need that kind of love. Number three, Jesus then shows the proof. Look what he says in verse 14. He charged him to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priest and to make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, what's this all about? In the Old Testament, there were laws. If a man was healed or a woman was healed of leprosy, there was 
Leviticus chapter 14, a whole host of things he had to do. He had to go to the temple, the priest had to look at it, and then there were these rules. Okay, he he still had to stay isolated for seven more days to make sure that he was cleansed, and then he'd be good to go. Now, what is Jesus saying in this? Well, he's saying, you have to honor the law of God. This is not just the law of God doesn't mean anything. We're gonna do this God's way, and God's way is to honor the law of God. Christian, you are called to honor the law of God. This is what it means to walk in the Spirit. It's to obey God's commands. Obey, walking in the Spirit is not just some mushy-gushy, ethereal thing of, of what we do. It's to actually live by God's prescribed law for your life. Now, the ceremonial law of what to do with lepers, that's been fulfilled by Jesus on the cross. We're not bound by leprosy laws anymore or by separation laws. Jesus is the final atoning sacrifice once and for all. But God's moral law is unchanging. This is not being rewritten. We're not trying to figure out the way we ought to live. It was written, given to Moses, and we are bound by that. Christians, how do we respond to the cleansing that Jesus gives? We obey his law. But look at this. Look at that last verse. He says, as Moses commanded, verse 14, for a proof to them. What is the proof for? Well, it does two things. Number one, it reestablishes this man into life, into community. Now he could begin to actually step fully into this. So in other words, Jesus says, go publicly present yourself so that you can have all things restored to you that was lost as a result of your leprosy. And number two, it's for the doubting skeptical priests who were looking in on the ministry of Jesus saying, is there any power really in that man? Did he actually do anything? And it was to present yourself to the priest to say, look, I'm cleansed, and you knew me yesterday, and yesterday my body didn't look like this. Two things from this that we, ha- that we see. Number one, a proof to them. Christian, I'm gonna draw a very strange application for you, but th- I think this is very important. How do Christians publicly present themselves to the entire world showing the cleanliness and the cleansing that Jesus has done in their life? It's baptism. That's what baptism is. I know this is such a strange connection here, but this is what happens when a person believes in Jesus, they go underneath the waters of baptism as a public proclamation and proof to everybody, look at what Jesus has done for me. Church, I just wanna let you know, we're gonna do a baptism here in the new year, Lord willing, and if you have never been baptized to publicly proclaim, I've been cleansed by Jesus, That is what your next step is, just as it was for the leper, to publicly proclaim, Jesus has cleansed me. But number two, number two, what is the public witness we have to the world, to the skeptics, that Jesus actually changes our lives? It's your life. It's your life lived for Christ. Matthew chapter five, verse 15, kids verse that many of us know from maybe when you were a kid in youth group. Nor do people light a lamp, Jesus says, and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. As a Christian, your life needs to become a living testimony and witness to the cleansing power of Jesus. If this is who you were, you were, a, consider the story we've just been told. Who were you? You were a leper. You had a, a, a sin disease, not a skin disease, if you like that. You had a sin disease that was, that was killing you, that was rotting you from the inside. And the great physician has healed you from this. And now you, cleansed, being born again, reestablished into community, get to go into the watching world and give a proof to them of the cleansing that Jesus has brought. That's the story of the leper. And your proof to them is a life lived on fire for Jesus. 
Your proof to the watching world is a life that says, I'm unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I refuse to let anyone make me feel ashamed for it, because this is my story. I once was full of sin, and I've been saved by Jesus, and the only thing that changed me was Jesus. It wasn't because I got my act together. It was because Jesus got a hold of me, and he changed me from the inside out, because if I was left on myself, I'd be dead. The, The sin disease was rotting me away from the inside out. Church, if your story has not been defined that way, I invite you this morning to read this text and see yourself in the story of the leper. He's changed you. He's cleansed you. Can you imagine the joy that man had presenting himself to the priest and the priest saying, you are cleansed. Can you imagine the new life he lived in community? Do you think he ever took the gathering of the saints for granted? Do you think he ever missed a holy holiday? Do you think he skipped with joy with the congregations as they were singing hymns, walking up to the temple together? You better believe it. That man had been changed by Jesus. And a man who's been changed by Jesus, you can't steal his joy from him if you tried. Church, if you don't have that joy, I don't want you to settle for a half-hearted Christianity. There is no half-hearted Christianity. There's the story of the leper. And that's your story if you're a Christian. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray in this room right now that you would speak to those who need to be reminded of the power of the gospel in their life. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in each person's life revealing areas of sin right now. We spend a long time looking at the effects of sin. And God, I pray right now that you'd bring conviction. If there is any ongoing habitual sin, sin of the heart, sin of the mind, sin of our actions, sin of our eyes, God, I pray that today, They would look to Jesus who desires to cleanse them of that sin. And God, I pray that they would repent, that they would trust in Jesus, and that you would give them breakthrough in Christ's name today. That they would walk out of here as those who have been cleansed from that sin, fully forgiven and empowered for new life. God, I pray for this church that we would live wildly for Christ, unashamed of the gospel, powerfully in the face of a skeptical, doubting world who's looking in, wondering if there is any power in this thing called Christianity. Let them see our lives, Christ, please. Let them see us living for Christ and know that our life is a living proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I pray in Christ's holy name.